Hi, welcome to the Lavender Mafia podcast, episode three. Today we're going to be talking about gender. Yes, we're going to try and cover gender as a topic in a little under an hour. So um, come along and join us. I'm so excited that you're here. We are the Lavender Mafia. Hi, and welcome to Lavender Mafia. I'm Jack Bates, drag queen, theologian, comedian, and glamorous gender abomination. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jess Grace Garcia. I'm a filmmaker, music producer, and worship pastor. And okay, Christmas is just finished, but I am like the biggest fan of Christmas. <laughs> I know that's not probably not you, Jack, but for me, I could probably do Christmas all year round. Hey, I can go for a Yule log. <laughs> my wife only gives me like 30 days to enjoy christmas when do those start and when do those end yeah i would rather just like you know sprinkle them throughout the year <laughs> <laughs> but it starts i am always begging her to give it to me right oh now. really wow i'm listening Ooh, okay <laughs> Um, I'm always wanting to do it on Thanksgiving, starting Thanksgiving, like mm -hmm. while I'm cooking, the music is playing. She's like, no day after Thanksgiving. I'm like, why are you depriving me of this? <laughs> and I always fight back and always play music, Christmas music with her just like griping in the corner a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I am lucky because my, um, my business partner out here and one of my best friends and little brothers evan he also loves christmas music mm -hmm. and if we're producing music christmas music we get to start like in like september in the summer and so yeah i kind of i'm squeezing it in a little bit i got to squeeze it in a little bit this year for sure nice what about you uh what about me what in terms of christmas music are you like super into <laughs> it or not because you're not saying and right now i feel like it's important for our friendship for me to know <laughs> I do really like Christmas music. I I like the old favorites like Hark the Herald, Angel Sing, Silent Night, shit like that. But I also like when it gets weird. Like in Sufjan's Christmas album, Silver and Gold, he takes uh, a lot of the Christmas classics and just makes them like, he just queers them. Mm. And he also writes some of his own stuff too. I think it's really good. Hmm. I might have to listen to that. Yeah. So Jess, what's been going on with you lately? Well, right now it's literally a few days after Christmas. Mm -hmm. I have been so lazy the last couple of days <laughs> because I worked my little tail off the past month. Um, I work for two different churches um, as a worship leader and a worship pastor and a creative director. And so I was doing, I think I did, eight to 10 Christmas songs. Oof. Yeah. Um, whether it was live or produced and man, I mean, it's exact. I love doing it, you know, mm -hmm. but I am a perfectionist. So I worked my butt off and it was nice to kind of hit Christmas and then be like, Whoa, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and I just <laughs> decided to be as lazy as possible. And, um, my house really needs to get cleaned though. But <laughs> <laughs> other than that uh yeah i've just been super super lazy which has been been nice what about you um not a whole lot i didn't do a whole lot for christmas because my family is far away and just with everything so locked down for the pandemic i decided not to drive up there um and she was a maybe a little bit bad a couple weeks ago, uh, but only a little bit. Uh, this guy I was talking to on the applications and I both got COVID tested independently for different reasons, but we found ourselves both COVID negative in the middle of a pandemic and also just so thirsty. So <laughs> we, we went out and there was a lot of chemistry. It was really good, and we've started seeing each other, so I'm excited about that. Nice. On our first date, uh, the subject of, like, oh, who pays for what came up, and I talked to him about how I've tried to date 
uh, cis women after coming out because uh, I'm bi pan, and it's it's just been awkward the sort of power dynamics that are there in our culture, just like from the get go. But with like dating other gay guys, there's a sort of assumption of equality. I totally um, relate to that. This. I find really refreshing. Now, I I do want to take that equality and then make it go away. I told my date that, yeah, yeah, gender is bullshit, but also I'm the girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah, I remember when Erica and I first, my wife and I first started dating, it was one of those things where, you know, I'm a little bit more butch, she's more femme. Mm -hmm. And like, I did appreciate that it was a question. You know, it wasn't an assumption. Like right. it was a question, are we gonna go Dutch? Are we gonna, am I gonna pick up the the check or whatever? And what I realized a few months into us dating was that um, I probably shouldn't pick up the check every time, even though I wanted to desperately my butchness and my like <laughs> my toxic masculinity that I had to still address was <laughs> wanting to pick up the check every time. But it ended up being one of those things where um, I realized, you know, she makes at least twice as much as I do. <laughs> and I'm going to have to get over it. Um, but we can talk about the fun nature of toxic masculinity from conservatism that comes into, you know, <laughs> a queer girl's life some other time. Um, let's, uh, let's jump into something that we haven't done yet on the podcast. Um, margins corner. Tell us a little bit about margins corner, Jack. I want to know what we're, what we're working on focusing here for margins corner. Yeah. I'm really excited about this segment in margins corner. Jess and I are going to focus on the ways that we're trying to educate ourselves, uh, get involved with uh, the plights of other uh, marginalized people groups, uh, some of which will also belong to ourselves in one capacity or another, because we believe that all of these different causes for equality are in some ways at the root one and the same cause. Yeah that the cause for queer liberation that we're all about in this podcast can't really be divorced from the cause for black liberation, um, women's rights movements, uh, disability rights, and other advocacy groups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I know we're talking about Christmas a bit right now mm -hmm. and uh just because we just came out of it sorry if you're listening to this in freaking summer or February <laughs> or whatever um but for me um something that I got to really enjoy um about a week ago was the Jingle Jangle um show on movie on Netflix mm -hmm. um which was um directed by a black director which I believe his name is David Talbert um mm -hmm. and he is um I, I really loved this movie. I don't know uh, if you've seen it, Jack, but... Oh, no, I haven't. It's so... It's basically... It's a musical, which I love musicals. Mm -hmm. um, I think anyone could watch it any time of the year. It just happens to be based during Christmas. Um, and it's basically a story about this young girl who's mm -hmm. like 10 or 12. Um, and um, most of the cast is super diverse and people of color. Um, and... Um, all the main characters are for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and this little this little girl is so tenacious and knows who she is and knows what she wants. And um, there's a song called The Square Root of Possible or Square Root of Impossible. And this song is like my anthem. And I think if I was 10 years old and got to see this young girl of color like me singing this song about how nothing can stop her and how she is the square root of impossible would have definitely been my anthem and inspired me. And how much more of a badass would I be, you know, like <laughs> than I it am is right hard now. hard to imagine you being more of a badass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. But it's true. It's like, it's like 
I can't wait to show this to my future children. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like having, even if it's, and, and like for it to be a bit more, you know, on popular, on a popular streaming service, you know, and like being like, at least it was like front row and center on, on my Netflix account. But it's just one of those things that I was incredibly inspired by. There was all, even the music, like the minute that you start listening to the music, you know, it's not written by some white cis dude, even some white <laughs> cis gay dude, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't written by the the main the main people who would write this. It was collaborated, and you can tell the influences of other cultures are there. Um, there's a dance um, snowball fight scene that's got very got very much has African roots, and it just feels good. It feels really good to hear something be done in a different way and see a story like. I heard many times like, oh, this is a story I haven't heard before. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, because it's finally there's diversity in this story. You know, when you start featuring, you know, stories written by or, you know, music or arts or anything being brought to the table by people who have been raised in different cultures, you get that. <laughs> uh -huh. You get the diverse stories. And so for me, it was exciting and really enjoyable um, and is definitely in my, and I love Christmas. It's now in my top five, um, movies for Christmas. So, um, and I probably will listen to the soundtrack throughout the whole year. Cause it's just that, it's just that good. Um, and it feels good to start hearing, um, those, you know, people of color voices, um, in that capacity. So. I don't know that's what I I was just I was like I get that it's a little bit more pop centric, a little less political, <laughs> but I think that those things are important. Yeah, absolutely. What about I know you were talking I know you're all about your uh, your black liberation and queer liberation theology. What you got for us? Yeah, so earlier in the pandemic, I really wanted to educate myself more about what the black experience in America is like. And for me, it felt really natural to do that by getting into black theology, because theology is a large, one of the main ways I view the world. I have a BA in theology, I have an MA in theology. Uh, it's just sort of how I see things. And so I started out with a book called A Black Theology of Liberation uh, by James Cone. And Cone uh, is described by himself and by others fairly as the father of black liberation theology. I should probably back up for our listeners and describe what liberation theology is. Yes, please. Uh, theology or liber liberation theology is uh, a school of thought that looks at theology or the study of God and the world as God's creation in order to liberate what are more marginalized or oppressed people groups. That's the key. So black liberation theology is theology leveraged to the end of black liberation. When I talk about queer liberation theology, it's th theology leveraged for the end of queer liberation. In a black theology of liberation, Cohn kind of sets out what he means the contours of black liberation theology to be. And a lot of it is putting front and center the reality that God is God for the oppressed. Jesus Christ came for the oppressed. It's not imposing a sort of foreign interpretive frame onto scripture in the Christian tradition. This is right there, front and center in the scriptures, and mostly we've just ignored it. Huh. Like we've been talking about it being Christmas. Uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat in the book of Luke is basically a work of liberation theology. Hmm. Like Mary is depicted as this sort of meek, passive figure, but the Mary who sings the Magnificat is like a badass revolutionary. Totally. Totally. When we went, um, when we dove into, uh, you and I are in a group where we dove into Mary for a little bit and it redefined the way that I see her. Mm -hmm. And it was so exciting to like actually relate to her, mm -hmm. um, for the first time. And I'm 33 years old. I was like, <laughs> what? I'm relating to Mary now. This is awesome. And, uh, now when I see her, whenever I'm, we had to do a couple songs that were like, Mary focused for Christmas and 
it was exciting to actually see her that way, see her as a badass, mm -hmm. you know? She is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was so enamored of Cone, I just never heard anybody talk about theology in the world this way. That after Black Theology of Liberation, I dove immediately into another of his books, which was The Cross and the Lynching Tree. He talks about the, the legacy of the lynching of African Americans in America um, and how it still goes on. Uh, it was really prevalent until relatively recently. And he, he looks at the the black experience of lynching of people being killed and hung on trees and uh, creates an analogy with Christ's experience on the cross mm. uh, among other things going on in Jesus being on the cross is the unjust persecution of a person in a marginalized group in society Jesus came knowing that he would be put with the oppressed and meaning for himself to be put with the oppressed. I listened to a It's sermon. interesting. Let's pause for a second because I feel like something that we often see is the American evangelical Americanized Jesus, uh -huh. which is a very white Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you see, when you start reading you know, someone like James Cone and, and you start to realize that Jesus is a person of color, was a person of color. Mm -hmm. It's something that you can start to like relate and understand better, yeah. like, like his experience, you know? And I feel like that's important because we, we've, we, especially for those of us, even if we're, we're, um, even if we're deconstructing, it's still something that we're, we're, I know for me, like I'm reworking in my head mm -hmm. of who is, who, who is Jesus defined as. So like even halfway through you telling that I was like, all right, Jesus is a person of color. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, you were saying. Well, now I want to riff on that <laughs> because the, the image that we have of Jesus really has been hijacked by people who have very different values than the Jesus we see in the Gospels did. In so many American Christian churches, we see a Jesus who supposedly supports the status quo of white, upper, middle-class, heterosexual Christianity. Mm. Mm. And... Most of our pastors are white, cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied men. Right. Um, people in sort of all the registers of privilege. And we listen to them tell us about a religion that's for the oppressed by the oppressed. Right. Who thought this was a good idea? Right. <laughs> Amen. <sighs> <laughs> So if I wasn't before, Cone has definitely radicalized me. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to dive into Cone for sure. I just feel like the couple of things that I've I've uh, dove into recently um, has been a bit overwhelming for me because there mm -hmm. is so much change that is being reworked, and so it's taking time. Right. So like I'll read, I'll read a chapter and I'll go, I need to read that again, and I'll read it again, and then I'll read it again because. It, it, it's been so ingrained, you know, that I have mm -hmm. to really rework it. And so, and also there's, there's certain ways that it hits me that I'm differently every time that I'm just like, okay. Right. So I, I feel like it's not that I'm being lazy and not reading. It's that I'm taking so much time on these, each individual authors that are just blowing my mind mm -hmm. <laughs> that it's like, okay, I, I'll get to it. I'm going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> But I am excited to dive into um, James Cone in 2021 for sure. One of the things I love about Cone's work is how he examines how black Christians have worked out for themselves what it means to be Christian. Because either they were not given any direction on that, or they had white people telling them lies about who they were. Mm. 
in Christ, who God believed them to be, what their proper roles were in church and society. And that, I feel like that has taught me a lot about the Black experience in America. And it's also helped me to reform the way I think about what it means to be a queer Christian. Mm. That queer Christianity is something that we have to figure out ourselves. Yep. And it's something that we've only started to explore the contours of. Yeah, I we're a part, both of us are, are a part of a few uh, different Facebook groups. And I recently saw someone post something um, about wanting, you know, solid uh, references for their friend who is um, going through something and has a child who's, who's mm-hmm. queer and, um, and wanting to just give them solid references that weren't just blogs as they put it. And I said, I was like, <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, like, that's what we have right now. What we have, we're right. currently in the midst of, of, of deconstructing and theologians are finally being allowed in the doors of places that they were not, were not allowed in, you know, affirming theologians have to find ways to kind of get into these places that are locked down um, and not allowed to like dive into the history of, of certain things. So it's, you know, that's what we have (laughs) in some places having an article or having a blog is, is the best we can, we can give you. I'm looking forward to having the books that are written on 10, you know, decades of research, but, um, but we're new to this. Yeah. So new. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's it's an interesting and exciting time, but it is um, it is one of those things where we've all been our own theologian, and now we're finally getting people who have the years of um, education under their belt because they were allowed <laughs> to right. finally go to a school <laughs> um, and be queer or affirming, or they snuck their way through pretending to not be. And hi, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I feel like Margin's Corner is literally almost our whole podcast. Like it's it's yeah. one of those things that we're gonna we're gonna have touches of throughout. Um, and if we don't, then I, I have a problem with that because like we're gonna Absolutely. we're gonna want to be talking about this all the time. So you and I can riff on that all day. Um, but what's our topic for this week? We've already touched on it in previous weeks. It'd be hard not to touch on it. I know I have a difficult time not touching on it. Uh, um, the topic for this week is gender. Oh, yeah, definitely. Talk about gender all the time. We could bang this out so quickly. Gender <laughs> is such a simple thing. Right? What could be hard Black and about white. figuring out <laughs> gender? Uh, I thought we could start real quick just giving our listeners and a sort of overview of what are the sorts of things that we're talking about when we talk about gender? And it's helpful for me to think about different aspects of what we mean by gender. Like part of it is gender identity. Like what do you take your gender or genders to be? A part of it is gender expression. Yep. How do you, through your appearance and actions, your words, how do you telegraph your gender or genders to the world. Uh, Another part is uh, society's perception of your gender. Uh, What gender genders do others take you to be? Because that gives you opportunities and takes away other opportunities. Absolutely. Another point related to the last one is gender roles. Uh, Based on your gender identity, what place do you take yourself to have in society and based on society's perception of you, what expectations do they put on you based on their perception of your gender or genders? So there are a lot of different ways that we talk about gender and they're all sort of related to each other in messy ways. Yeah. It's not very clean. It's always messy. So you think we should just like, tell our individual gender stories because both of us identify under the trans umbrella, gender non-binary, gender queer. Well, spoiler alert, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've already said this. It's true. (laughs) Um, Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, 
so for me, I have identified as um, a woman um, and female um, for most of my life. Um, and I think a couple of years ago, my wife um, broke things down for me in a way that made me realize that I could, it was very simple. Like I was like, you know, I feel like a woman, but I also have such a strong masculine side of myself. And mm -hmm. I was starting to understand the difference between identity and expression. And, um, and I, I think I also didn't want to be overly complicated. There was a part of me that was excited to be all the things that I am um, and show people this is what a woman can look like. Mm. But also um, realizing that I felt like I was more centered and I wasn't um, a super big fan for myself personally with the non-binary term. Mm -hmm. And then I heard genderqueer and it just rang so true for me that I was like, oh. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and I realized that I could be genderqueer in identity and expression. At first it was like, okay, I'm just genderqueer in my expression. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then I finally started to feel settled. Um, my wife was, we were discussing, you know, what are some of the things that we've, uh, we've like felt really good about that happened this year, 2020, um, by when we say this year. And one of those things was kind of coming to terms with my gender identity mm -hmm. and realizing that I could be a woman and genderqueer at the same time. And so for me, that was a really, a really big deal. And it got me to being more comfortable with expressing my femininity a bit. And I would say that um, I was going kind of like subscribing to the binary experience because I was like, I fought so hard to be masculine mm -hmm. as a woman that it was like one of those things that I was fearful to let go of. Um, right. Because anytime that I expressed myself in any sort of feminine way, which was rare, um, I would get told, Oh wow, you should do that more often. You look so pretty. Mm -hmm. And that was so frustrating to me. Because mm -hmm. I was like, don't tell me to do that more often. Because what you're doing is you're dismissing the rest and the majority of myself in my expression. Right. And once I got into queer community over the past two years, um, I realized that, you know, I was getting lots of love like from my friends like you and saying, like, you're so handsome and realizing, okay, they know who I am. I can walk into this space, be called beautiful. Um, and still feel okay and feel safe, mm -hmm. not feel like I need to put on something else. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's been kind of a, for me, at least with gender, um, it's been kind of, um, a cool year, um, to kind of come to terms with. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, th I would say, I would even take it as far as saying, I think I said it once before on the podcast that I had to wrap my head around being under the trans umbrella mm -hmm. and that has everything to do with my defensiveness of the trans experience and how hard it is um and can be for for so many trans individuals that i didn't want to um take that for for myself yeah that's it, it's a little bit simplified but uh, because it's such a huge part of my life you're going to hear about it all the time on this podcast so mm -hmm. very cool yeah. what about you um, well, I was assigned male at birth for better and for worse. Um, and for as long as I can remember, I had gendered expectations placed on me, a lot of which felt like they would either be difficult to uh, fulfill or impossible. I always felt this complicated relationship to my gender but mostly for religious reasons, I pretended not to have this sort of gender struggle. Because in the Christian circles that I grew up in, and even the circles I was in for much of my adulthood, you were either a man and you're supposed to be 100% masculine, or you're a woman and you're supposed to be 100% feminine. Anything in between is of the devil. Oh, and we should mention that femininity and masculinity is defined very differently in conservative circles. As so many people who are probably listening to this podcast know. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I tried to shelf my gender struggle for as long as I could. Um, when I eventually came out as bi. 
um, and started exploring queer culture, I learned that I belonged to a people who were much more expansive in their understanding of what gender is and could be, and even like playful with the boundaries of gender. Yeah. And I found that really attractive. It felt like kind of coming home. Like, oh, these these people get what my experience of gender is like more than the stodgy uh like conservative christians did yeah and so uh, a couple years after i came out i was exploring um the narratives of different kinds of trans people came across the description gender fluid as somebody who feels like their gender identity kind of shifts either of the course of their life or for me, like in the course of an afternoon. <laughs> um, oh, and I forgot to mention also that I had become a drag queen shortly after coming out. And what began for me is like sort of a fun way to have Halloween whenever I wanted it became a way to explore the positive aspects of my own femininity in a way that I'd never given my self-permission to do before i 100 percent believe that i kind of needed to become a drag queen to understand my own gender identity um and i came to embrace the fluid the <laughs> embrace the fluid i love embracing the fluid um, <laughs> i came to embrace the label gender fluid and uh i understood that historically that was under the trans umbrella like you, I had a lot of uh, hesitation about taking the the trans term on for myself because my experience with gender was hard, but not anywhere near as difficult as most of the trans binary people's experiences had been. And I didn't want to cheapen it by saying like, oh, you're trans, yeah, me too, as exactly. if it was the same thing. But I finally decided that... Uh, it's important for people to be exposed to different kinds of trans stories. Yes. Trans non-binary people. We have our own particular ways of experiencing the world, our own particular strengths and our own obstacles. For sure. Um, so I think that basically catches us up to where I am now gender wise. Yeah. I, I wonder what um, our lives would be like uh, without having met each other because I feel yeah. like in meeting you um, that quickened my growth um, of understanding and accepting myself and my gender queerness. I don't know how I would imagine that you feel similarly. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like we kind of built off and still build off each other. Like when we started to get to know each other, I was kind of beginning my gender journey and knew, and I saw in you someone I knew I could relate to. Yeah, you remember that walk around uh, around the block when you kind of opened yourself up and and said, you know, I'm I haven't really said this out loud, but I haven't been able to like separate. Um, I, the way that you said it, it was like you weren't sure about separating who um, your drag persona was and who you were. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I remember. And I remember being feeling so honored that I was that you were letting me into this this part of yourself that you were figuring out. And 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 I believe I said, do you remember what I said? I think I think I said something along the lines of like, I see you as all of it. Like like mm -hmm. all I don't feel like they need to be separated, you know? Like this is this is Jack. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. It was very helpful. We wanted to take a moment to say a quick thank you to Jeff Mercado for designing our amazing logo. Jeff has become our go-to graphic designer for all things Lavender Mafia. He's incredibly talented, so freaking easy to work with, and he's just so damn cute. Check him out on Instagram at Jeff Mercado Art. You won't be disappointed. Enjoy the rest of the show. Awesome, yeah, I feel like that hopefully 
hopefully that covers, you know, our, it's hard. It's a hard thing to, to say like, yeah, this is my gender experience. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I was, uh, I'm just wondering like what you, you touched on it a little bit. I'd love to hear more about it. The expectations that, um, that you were talking about, like feeling that people put on you. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I feel like most cultures have gender-specific expectations, and I experience the gender expectations that are normally put on a white, middle-class American boy. Can you uh, give like, me like just a couple pointers? Yeah. I was supposed to be like real tough, but I was such a sensitive kid, like very empathetic, like uh, cried easily just really in touch with my emotions but from a really early age i was told that that was that was women's work like men aren't supposed to cry they're not supposed to show uh emotional vulnerability because it was seen as weakness um i was supposed to have an interest in sports which not so much i mean it's like a coordination issue it's a lankiness issue I have a lot of issues. I mean, the closest I ever got to like organized sports was being on academic decathlon in high school. Wow. <laughs> I do not it's relate to this. Named the same thing as a sports thing. Are you proud of me now, dad? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I, I both naturally was inclined to nerdery and kind of sought refuge in there because being a nerd, you're, you're not expected to be like a man's man in the same ways. And so I got to like cloak my gender troubles mm. in this like veneer of, uh, alternative and socially acceptable masculinity. Mm. Just real quick. I want to talk about expectations in uh, like relationships. Sure. Um, like I uh, got married to a woman and before that and during uh, had a lot of expectations placed on me about what it meant to be like, quote unquote, the right kind of husband. Right. It was, being the leader in really like an authoritarian right. way uh, with a strong power differential that now I look back and think they were really, they meaning like evangelical Christians in general were really pushing like uh, an abusive power structure. Absolutely. Don't you on, know you're supposed to be the dad? I know. Right. In your marriage, which is fucking weird. But that's literally what they—that's <laughs> what they're preaching, is you're taking the place of their father in terms of authority. Right. It's like right there in the ceremony, like her dad hands her off to you, mm -hmm. like uh, the prized heifer. Like here's some property oh, God, that so is no longer mine, but is now yours to do with as you please. And unfortunately, I saw a lot of evangelical marriage, marriages that played themselves out exactly along those kinds of power differential lines. Another thing that kind of complicated my relationship to these gender expectations is when I had a massive stroke and became a disabled person. Um, I was never the like uh, hulking protector of family that... Uh, uh, evangelical culture told me i was supposed to be that must but, have made you feel like shit yeah it really did thank you for saying that but now as a person with disability specifically physical disability i was so much farther from that like for a while i had to have my then wife like wheel me around right and that was emotionally difficult for me in a way that wouldn't have been if i hadn't had these sort of gendered expectations that I was supposed to be the strong one, that I wasn't allowed to show weakness and vulnerability. I actually relate to that. Like for me, I'll just jump forward, but expectations in marriage, like I 
personally as the butch one, mm-hmm. like put even in a relationship, even in my previous relationships, put on myself this toxic masculinity expectation, which makes no sense because I'm a queer woman. But for some <laughs> reason in my head, that's what masculinity looked like. And mm-hmm. so I would get frustrated when I couldn't um, earn as much money or if not more money. And I wasn't the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I was frustrated about the fact that um, when my wife and I started to get serious in our relationship, I ended up losing um, my job in a lot of ways, we both parted ways. Um, and it was one of the healthiest things I ever did was leaving this job, mm-hmm. but it felt another layer of, of being demasculate, emasculated, emasculated. Thank you. Um, and, and I was like, wait, this is the one thing I was supposed to be able to do well was at least take care of myself. Um, and, um, all of a sudden I was taking on things like cleaning cleaning the kitchen or cleaning the house. And Mm -hmm. first of all, I was never very good at that, but (laughs) that was my way of contributing to the relationship. It is now. And, and so there were many ways that I was just battling within myself, this feeling of not being good enough Mm -hmm. because I thought this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, as being the traditionally masculine one in this relationship. And I think, my wife didn't grow up in that way at all. Her her dad was her dad and her mom were very equal in the way that they they handled things in their relationship. My her mom was Methodist. Her mom was Methodist. Her dad's an atheist. She didn't grow up in the same kind of things that I did. And so mm-hmm. so for her, it was just about equal partnership, you know. And and so she, but she recognized in me this feeling of pride and this feeling of loss of pride mm-hmm. that she was, she wanted to address and, and she was like, I know this feels like it's important, but it really isn't like, it isn't something that you need to feel badly about. Like Mm -hmm. I, we're in this together. And, and it's one of the, one of the ways that I was able to switch it up for myself was I've never been one to enjoy being put into a into a box, obviously gender queer Mm -hmm. here, um, (laughs) queer as hell. Um, but I was able to start thinking about, you know, I don't want, I, I think it's hilarious that people look at my wife and I and see a feminine person and a more masculine person. And they think, oh yeah, you know, like Jess probably does all of these things the way that gender role expectations are. Right. And then to have you actually, like if you were to read a paper and see both, both people's roles and not see our names, you would be completely thrown off. You know, like I'm the, I'm the caretaker. I'm mm. the one that carries a lot of the emotional burdens, but I, I cook, I take care of the house. I, I'm the one that makes the calls cause she's not a, she, like, even if it's ordering a pizza, like I'm the <laughs> one that does that because she's more comfortable with that. Um, she's the one that handles the finances and goes to, goes to the, um, full-time job while I work from home. Um, I'll be the one when we have children that, that stays at home. Mm-hmm. And um, whether I go by dad or mom or some other random name that we come up with, um, that'll be me. I'll be the stay-at-home parent. And so mm-hmm. it's it's something that I enjoy. Oh, also, she's totally the one that can fix and put up anything around the house. And that's not me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I look like the lumberjack lesbian. I am not. Um, <laughs> and, and I love that. Now I've grown to love that we break all those gender rolled expectations in our marriage, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so being able to embrace that has really been healing for me. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are ways that it ekes up, you know, every now and then she'll do something that I'm like, can't you just give me that one thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, mo- most of the time it has to do with fixing things. I just love to fix things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think when it comes to like expectation growing up, you know, I had a lot of growing up, growing up female. Um, I basically had a lot of um, expectations of girliness that were not were not me at all. I was mm-hmm. I've been a tomboy since I can remember, and I don't really like that terminology now. But I think it gives you a pretty clear understanding of what kind of kid I was. I was yeah. v- very into I was very into sports, climbing trees. I I mean I if there was a ball involved in a game, I was in it, you know, like my dad was my coach in many sports. 
Um, and that was a connecting point for us. Like I was a daddy's mm. girl and, um, and it was, you know, I, if my dad was fixing the car outside, I was the one doing that, you know, with him. I just, I was very attracted to the things that were traditionally seen as boys things. Mm -hmm. Um, so anytime that there was, you know, an expectation of me to be, um, like wear a dress on, on a special <laughs> holiday. Or I remember when I started to develop, when I was going through puberty, uh, my mom said, okay, now you, you can't be, you know, wrestling and rolling around in the dirt with the boys anymore. And I was like, what? And I hated <laughs> my boobs because of that. I was furious that my boobs were keeping me from being able to roll around and, and were separating me from the boys in this way that I felt like, I basically was one of them until that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I remember something else that I just thought of was, you know, being so jealous of my brother who um, got to pee standing up, you know, like. <laughs> it is pretty great. It, uh, yeah, I know it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's just, I, I mean, I think the hardest thing about and any woman can identify with this. The hardest thing of growing up as a woman is, um, is this expectation of <clears throat> in career, you know, like, mm -hmm. like this expectation of, well, you're not, you're not really meant to do that. Um, or the boys club, like trusting that, like, like, well, I don't know if I can trust you to do that. And it's like, doesn't, you don't, you don't get, and also get paid as much as, I mean, like I dealt with a lot of sexism in my last job. Mm -hmm. So that is such a big topic, but it has everything to do with the expectations that were put on me. And I was constantly trying to break them. Mm -hmm. It was like, you expect me to be less and I am not less. I am more. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the thing I at least, I, I like, I probably hate the most about gender expectations. Yeah. Same. It's just interesting. Cause like your frustration was in being asked to be all these things that you couldn't be. And me being asked to be less like that. Like they're so, it's so interesting that our, we have such similar stories yet we came from such such different places if that makes sense yeah that's a really good point i mean there were ways in which i wanted to be more than i felt like i was allowed to be uh i was just thinking uh this morning I was preparing for uh recording this today how i used to use dates with women as excuses to do things that i wanted to do but weren't socially acceptable for men to do like go to symphony or to go to the opera like i would take dates to these things i was always way more into them than they were musical theater <laughs> wow that's so interesting and i pretend i was doing it because you know i'm the perfect boyfriend but no i just really wanted to see carmen <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh man i remember this one time i think y'all get a kick out of this so i'm a so i've been you know i'm a musician and i've been a musician and a singer all my life mm -hmm. and i dated this guy um and uh he was about four years my senior and he was a worship leader as well mm -hmm. which i should have known was gonna crash and burn as uh, fairly quickly, but just because we were the same in that way. <laughs> and I was in his room waiting for him to get ready for something. And, and actually it was around the holidays. So it was so interesting. Now I think we were about to go out and do like a couple's picture. We were that far along in our relationship, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and I picked up his guitar cause I was bored and I started to play and he came in and he was so upset and, and I didn't understand why. And Essentially, he gave me a lot of attitude because I was a better guitarist than he was. <laughs> and that was like the start of the end for us because I started to realize that like I can't lessen myself for you to feel better about yourself. Mm -hmm. I just won't, you know, 
and like it's it's funny because you'd think oh yeah well just you you guys didn't work out because like yeah you're queer sure that was a part of it and i was still secretly <laughs> seeing my ex-girlfriend on the side as i was trying to figure out my freaking life um but this guy if he had been more respectful if he could handle my brilliance next to his then who knows what that could have been but he was so intimidated and i was like i'm not gonna do this i'm not gonna lessen myself and I, I see that, I see the light go out. I saw the light go out in so many of my friends, especially women who were mm -hmm. trying to match and work like in their relationships, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to see some of them come out of those relationships and just be like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to dampen my light. And that, I think that has a lot to do with gender roles and expectations for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I feel like we could dig into history, like, for hours mm -hmm. about our gendered experience. Um, but what we're all here for, and we always go on the edges about, is, like, our faith in relation to whatever the topic is, right? Yeah, we tried to tease around the opening a little bit before. <laughs> we thrust into the, the meat of it. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, I hadn't gotten horny during this podcast yet. And that was a necessary <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah, I was just curious, like, how do you um, believe that like faith and queerness changed your view of gender or changed the way that you view gender? Yeah, that's a good question. I talked a little bit about how um, familiarizing myself with queer culture and getting to know queer people expanded my view of what gender could be and kind of broke down some of the barrier that I believed was in between masculinity and femininity. But faith really had a lot to do with changing my relationship to gender too. Um, a few years ago, I was in a PhD program in theology at a wing college. I was focusing on the theology of the early church and specifically looking at uh, what early Christian thinkers believed it meant to be human. Specifically, like, what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Mm. And I read ancient and early medieval Christians who talked about sort of gender expansive experiences in their relationship with God. And they all talked about God as outside gender or beyond gender. And as I read these things and reflected on them, I became really convicted that whatever gender is, whatever masculinity and femininity are, they're equal expressions of what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. Amen. And that if one of or maybe the most important goal of humanity is to be as like God as possible, uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, like in Matthew, um, then for me to try only to live into my masculinity and not live into my femininity is keeping myself from being as like God as I could be because my femininity is also part of what it means for me to be in the likeness of God and finally giving myself permission to be all of who God meant me to be wherever the fuck that line falls along gender lines I feel like has freed me to be more like God in ways that I didn't believe were possible like we've talked and joked about how like I'm the, the mother of the friend group, but it's really true. Absolutely. And, um, not to say that like really masculine people can't be nurturing, but for me, I experience it as part of my femininity. Absolutely. And a nurturer wasn't something that I believed I was capable of when I was just trying to be masculine. When people were telling me that I was 
less than God created me to be. How about for you? How's how faith and queerness affected the way you view and experience gender? I feel fortunate, and I've said this, and I'm going to continue to say it. I feel fortunate to have met you because mm. um, it started probably with my my friend Kevin Garcia saying, like, you know, he made um, Kevin Garcia is a podcaster just like us, and um, also um, just just an awesome individual who's out there as a queer Christian and gender queer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just um, standing up for um, affirming theology. And um, one of the first shirts that I, uh, he has a t-shirt company um, as well. And I think they go by they. I'm sorry. Uh, I know that Kevin goes by he and they and so many other pronouns, I believe. Any pronoun you want to call them. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, Kevin is always updating. Um, but uh, but yeah, Kevin is um, has a t-shirt company and um, put out a t-shirt that was all rainbow print that said, um, I am made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And that statement on its own has taken years to really like dig into the layers of, and, um, and I was like, that's right. I'm made in the image of God mm-hmm. as a simple statement of, I am beautiful as well. Right. Like I'm beautiful mm-hmm. because I'm made in the image of God who I am alone, like all of the parts of me. But as you start to like, as we start to dig into that and understand like, how do I want to like, how do I want to explain that more? Um, I think, starting to attend groups with you and go to church and starting to have these conversations around gender really started to make me question the way that I was gendering God and limiting God. And I feel like that's been the theme of my deconstruction has been, how do we, um, how have we as Christian society and coming out of evangelicalism, how have we limited God with our ideas of who we believe they are. Mm. Um, and just describing they, them pronouns to God um, in more in non-affirming circles has been really interesting mm-hmm. because they jumped to the conclusion that, oh, it's because of the Trinity. And I say, well, it's actually more than that. It's more than the fact that they are literally they, <laughs> right. but that they're also... Um, being limited by this concept of, of gendering God. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started to realize like for myself, I had separated myself from this ability to say that I was made in the image of God because Mm -hmm. in a patriarchal, um, male dominated evangelical society, it was understood that men were made in the image of God because God went by he, him pronouns. And then um, that we were just made in the image of Adam. It was like this concept of like, right. We're taken from the rib of Adam, um, not made in the image of God. And so to start to wrap my head around the fact that no, we all, and it's not just my head, right? Like my head can handle these concepts. Mm-hmm. It's my heart. It's my soul. It's it's the depths of me and the history and the trauma of <laughs> of of like trying to just to continue to sweep away those layers and and really really feel it that like in the depths of myself, I know that I am made in the image of God. Mm. And um, hearing you explain who God is. Um, and living into that um, just really has been, um, I don't think it's one of those things, like I think we can have these moments of like, wow, like these light bulb moments, but mm-hmm. I think that they're really long lasting. They're these things that just continue to kind of deepen within ourselves. Um, and something that I've, it's become my anthem. It's become my anthem to remind people that, who they are is not um, ugly, mm. who they are. They're not trying to, to rid themselves of some original sin, some, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and one of the ways that I talk about that is, you know, we look at the world and we see all this beauty because we say God created it. That's the quickest way that we get there. Wow. Right. That, you know, that, 
that skyline is beautiful because God created it. You know, that, you know, that human that I'm attracted to is beautiful. That best friend of mine is beautiful because God created you. Mm -hmm. That child that I just, you know, made (laughs) (laughs) is beautiful because God created that child. But we go and look in the mirror and we can't say the same thing. Mm -hmm. We look in the mirror and we say like, no, here's all the flaws. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple step, logically. If we can see all of the other things that God has created as beautiful, why can we not look in the mirror and say, I am beautiful? But for some reason, we have been told this lie that looking in the mirror and saying that I am beautiful is taking away from God. It's taking its pride. It's taking away the focus on God. And that's so, I'm sorry, but it's so fucking untrue. Yeah. Like we should be able to look in the mirror and see our beauty, see our handsomeness, see all of these things and say, wow, God is amazing. (laughs) God created these eyes. God created this smile. God created this voice. And that means that I am beautiful. Like Mm -hmm. I am in the image of God and trying to like really wrap your heart and your soul and your spirit around that concept of like, we are, we are able to love God by loving ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like we, we talk about, you know, we can take that concept of that, like that thing that we're, we're being taught as we're growing up, especially for me in evangelicalism, like how do we love God more? How do we, how do we show it throughout our lives? And it isn't chastising ourselves and making ourselves feel dirty and ugly and cheapened. It's realizing the beauty that we are Mm -hmm. in the image of God and saying like, when we can realize that, that is us loving God best. And that's my soapbox. And I will continue to make that my soapbox. That's something that I, I just believe in so strongly. And it's, People ask me, how do you get the confidence that you have? How do you swagger that you do? And, and it starts in that loving myself and realizing that that is also a a way of loving God and loving Mm -hmm. the people that God has put in my life. That when I love myself, those people feel special and important as well because they're loved by me. Mm -hmm. Like, think about it if if you feel shitty about yourself and you feel like you're not worth someone's time how does that make your partner feel how does that make your best friend feel when they think you're worth their time like they're going to start to diminish their own thoughts about themselves and the way that they see the world and question it so in having self-love, you're also helping others to feel great about themselves. I don't know. It's here's where I'm going to jump into your zone of getting mental about <laughs> things, <laughs> but it is a heart thing. You do give great head. Oh, thank you. You've been talking to my wife. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know if, if that makes sense. I get that it's a lot of yeah. loops to jump through, but I don't think it is either i feel like it's a pretty easy logic game that um is hard for us because we've been taught so differently from that Mm -hmm. you know yeah i love that mic drop (laughs) 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 yeah it's one of those anthems that i could probably go on um forever and it's it is something that I have fought. I will say this, you know, as much as I'm on this soapbox, like I have, I'm a queer and curvy and butch individual, which is the opposite of what society tells me to be. And so I've been fighting that internal struggle of, of self, um, self-esteem. Like, so for me, this is not just something that I'm speaking over, as many ears is listening to it, it's something that I'm constantly preaching to myself mm. to be reminded that um, I am beautiful, you know? And, and now it's, it's funny. I mean, like I pass a mirror and I'm like, Oh, Hey, Hey handsome. <laughs> and that's not something I never got to do before. And 
I look back at old pictures of myself and I can, as many other people can say, like, tell the difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, why is it that I look so much better now? And I think it has a lot to do with confidence and like knowing who I am and really truly believing that I'm, that I'm beautiful. Um, Also gays age backwards. Yeah, (laughs) that's very true. science. (laughs) Yeah, a little less stress. Um, but yeah, and I think that that's, you know, I think that's an okay note to, to end on. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're struggling to like, to love yourself, tell your, tell yourself, remind yourself that you're made in the image of God. And how can you argue that God is beautiful, you know, and Mm -hmm. that God's, um, made you to be who you are. Um, I feel really good about this episode. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel really good that it, it's a little more, it's a rainy day here. It felt like a rainy day podcast, but I felt good. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, if you guys have any questions, like be sure to, to jump onto our Instagram at Lav Mafia. Um, and, uh, you know, send us a message, comment and give us your ideas. Like we want to hear from you for sure. Like this is, we're in a family and a community and I want to hear all of your stories, the successful ones, the hard ones. Um, yeah, we're here for you. Yeah. Give us a hard one. (laughs) We're also on Twitter at Lav Mafia. I'm much more of a Twitter person. I'm much more of an Instagram person, depending on who you want to talk to more. (laughs) Choose me. (laughs) (laughs) No. Anyway, I hope you all um, are having a great day. And um, if you continue to listen to these, we love you very much. Please share them with your other queer friends. And um, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for listening. All right, babes. Be fierce. Keep the faith. And don't fuck it up. (laughs) Our amazing music is written and produced by Evan Coles of Springwood Productions. Speaking of Springwood, I just want to thank them for recording, mixing, and producing our audio. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be happening. Springwood is made up of passionate creatives who are really easy to work with and professional, and they really know their stuff. So if you need anything like video or audio production, or they can really do anything to help your music or business. Like they got me Taco Bell one time, for God's sake. So go check them out at springwoodproductions.com. 